Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm reading from the New Living Bible, New Living Translation. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Their mother was Tamar. In verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz. His mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed. His mother was Ruth. In verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. His mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And finally, verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. In verse 3, there's a woman there by the name of Tamar. In verse 5, there's a woman by the name of Rahab and a woman by the name of Ruth. In verse 6, there's a reference to a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And in verse 16, there is a woman there by the name of Mary. I want to preach about sisters of the Spirit. Sisters of the Spirit. And my intent today is to literally encourage women in general and African-American women in particular. That's what my goal is today. With understanding prejudice and racism and gender uh, bias, understanding sexism, understanding social injustice and economical injustice, how some women will work the same job as a man and the only difference is gender and the man will make more than you because you are female. I understand uh, the sexual bias that goes on in our community and society. But what I hope to do today is to give you a glimpse of your history that you might understand your destiny so that regardless of your gender or your color, that you will realize that God can and will use you. As long as you understand where you've come from, you will know where you're going. So today I hope to rob every woman in general, every female, black female woman in particular, rob you of every excuse that the reason you're not achieving, that the reason you're not accomplishing certain things is because of your gender and color, because I'm going to show you some people who were black females that God used in a mighty way. There's a woman by the name of Maya Angelou, and Maya Angelou has a poem that is entitled Phenomenal Woman. When Maya Angelou does her poem Phenomenal Woman, she does it in first person singular. But today I'm going to do it in third person plural and hope not to rob of her creativity in that phenomenal poem that is called Phenomenal Woman. Pretty women wonder where your secret lies. You're not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. But when you start to tell them, they think you are telling lies. You say, it's the reach of my arms or the span of your hips, the stride of your steps, the curl of your lips. You're a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, that's you. You walk into a room just as cool as you please. And to a man, the fellows stand or fall down to their knees. Then they swarm around you, a hive, like honeybees. You say, it's the fire in your eyes, it's the flash of your teeth, the swing in your waist, the joy in your feet. You're a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, that's you. Men themselves have wondered what they see in you. They try so much, but they can't touch your inner mystery. When you try to show them, they say they still can't see.
you say it's the arch of your back, the sun of your smile, the ride of your breast, the grace of your style. You're a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's you. Now you understand just why your head's not bowed. You don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you pass by, others have to admit that they're proud. You say it's the click in your heels, the bend of your hair, the palm of your hand, the need of your care, because you're a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's you. Maya Angelou is trying to let every sister know that God has created you uniquely, that you are not a copy, you are an original. And everybody knows an original is worth more than any copy. You are phenomenal, a phenomenal woman. That's you. And what I had intended to do was really just go through historically and contemporaneously and, contemporaneously and pull different names of black women that God has used in a mighty way to try to encourage you. But I certainly wouldn't have time to accomplish all of that. I could certainly spend time dealing with Henrietta Bradbury, who helped the United States win in World War II by inventing the torpedo discharge. I could easily talk about Annie Easley, that black woman that developed and imp implemented computer codes used in solar wind and other energy projects. I could easily talk about Dr. Mae Jemison, the first black female astronaut that, that's, that flew on the space shuttle Endeavor. I could easily talk about Bessie Coleman, who was refused flying privileges in the United States and went over into France and trained and became the first black female licensed pilot. I could talk about Barbara Harris, that black sister who was the first female bishop of the Episcopal Church. I could talk about Vashti McKenzie, that black sister who was the first female bishop of AME Zion Church. I could talk about Shirley Chisholm, the first black congresswoman in the United States of America. I could talk about Mary McLeod Bethune, that grew up in a time that it was against the law to teach blacks how to read and write. But not only did she learn how to read and write, but she taught others how to read and write, went on to start a college. That college still exists today as Bethune-Cookman College in Daytona Beach, Florida. I could talk about Harriet Tutman that not only saved herself from slavery, but started an underground railroad where she saved hundreds of slaves from slavery in the South and brought them to freedom in the North. I could talk about Isabel Bomfrey that changed her name to Sojourner Truth because she says she was sojourn around this country telling people the truth about slavery. And I could just go on and on about black females that God has used in a very positive and powerful way. Then I thought, no, let me encourage the sisters by going to the scripture and pulling black females out of the scripture so that you can see that there is no excuse in terms of color or gender because if God is on your side, that if God is for you, he's more than the world against you. And I wouldn't have time to go through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, talking about all the black sisters that God had used. Now, I could spend some time talking about Hagar in the book of Genesis that had a baby by Abraham. The baby's name was Ishmael. Abraham is called the father of the faithful. But he was deceitful in how he dealt with Hagar. Hagar was a black Egyptian woman that ended up being a single parent. But she raised Ishmael to be a great son and his people to be a great nation. Or I could talk about Azena in the book of Genesis that married Joseph. 
And while Joseph was ruling over in Egypt, he married this black Egyptian woman, Azena. They had a son named Ephraim. And Ephraim became one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Or I could talk about Zipporah, that black sister that married Moses, even though Moses' sister tried to dog her because of the color of her skin. But it was Zipporah, that black woman, that on one occasion saved Moses' life before he saved the children of Israel. So if sister girl had not saved Moses, Moses couldn't have saved them. Or I could talk about that Canaanite woman, that black woman in Matthew chapter 15, that Seraphonician woman that had a daughter that had an evil spirit in her. And that Seraphonician, that Canaanite woman, that sister went to Jesus and said, I want you to heal my daughter. Jesus started talking about bread and children and dogs and how you don't take bread from the children's table and give to the dogs, some reference to the Jews and Gentiles. And the sister said, listen, Jesus, my daughter is sick. If you want to call us dogs, that's cool. But remember that even the crumbs that fall from the children's table, the dogs get to get them. Sister girl realized that the same ingredients that are in the loaf of bread are in the crumbs. And just the crumbs of Jesus brought deliverance to her child. I could just go on. And how many of you know God has been using women and black women for years? And even now, people will say that black women can't do that. And, and women in particular can't do this. And women shouldn't be preaching. And women should. Y'all, don't y'all know that the first people who were at the empty tomb of Jesus were the women. While the men were hiding scared, the women were at the tomb of Jesus. The first ones to carry the gospel message was the women going to tell the disciples that he is not dead, but he's risen. How many of you know God's been using women for a long time? Now, I don't have time to deal with all the sisters in the scripture, but here's what I want to do. I want to look in Matthew 1 and look at the family tree of Jesus, the ancestry of Jesus, the roots of Jesus, and, and see those who are in his family tree. And I noticed there were only five women who were mentioned, because in Matthew chapter 1, it's, it's, it's a bunch of men. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah, Judah begot Perez. It's a bunch of men. But y'all, can't no man begot nothing if it wasn't for a woman. So we know there's some women somewhere. And boy, y'all know a whole lot of us, brothers, we wouldn't be where we are if it were not for some sister in our life, some woman in our life, whether it's your grandmama, your mama, your wife, somebody in your life that helped you to get to where you are. Do I have a witness in here? But all their names are not mentioned. It's only, only five of their names are mentioned. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Now, Mary is the only Hebrew that's mentioned of those five women. She is Hebrew. That's the mother of Jesus, the virgin that gave birth to Jesus. The other four women in the uh, ancestral tree of Jesus, all of them are of Hermetic descent. They are African. They're all black. There are only five women mentioned. Four of them are black. And so what I want to do is I want to go, let's find out, let's prove that they are are of African descent. Let's prove that, and let's see how they were used of God. Pull two or three things, one or two things from each of their lives. That'll be our lesson for the day, and then I'll be ready to give the benediction. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. That ain't for you. That's for the person sitting next to you. I know you can handle your word. Genesis chapter 38. We're going to look at Tamar. That's the first woman mentioned in Matthew 1 uh, about the 
who's in the family tree of Jesus. Genesis 38, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. About this time, Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he visited a man named Harah. There he met a Canaanite woman. He met a black woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. She became pregnant and had a son, and Judah named the boy Er. Then Judah's wife had another son, and she named him Onan. And when she had a third son, she named him Shelah. At the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kazib. When his oldest son, Er, grew up, Judah arranged his marriage to a young woman named Tamar. Now here's what's going on. Judah, uh, he ends up getting married to a Canaanite woman. She's a black sister, and they have three sons. The oldest son is Er. When Er became an adult, there was a marriage arranged for him. That's how it was back in that, in Judah's day. Did nobody just date this person and date that person and date it until they found the one that was right? Parents would arrange marriage. And I kind of like that too. I think I'm going to do I'm going to arrange my son's marriages. They don't know nothing about picking women. I'm almost 40. I have some idea of how to pick a good wife. I already told my friends, y'all raise y'all daughters right. I'm raising my sons right. We're going to arrange some. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe we can keep some of these divorces from happening. Now, Judah married a sister, so when Er became an adult, Judah goes and picks for his son a Canaanite woman. I mean, he said, you know, sister, work for me, I'll work for my son too. So they hook up. Now, Er was so evil. Er was so evil. In verse 7, it says that God killed him. Now, you're real bad if uh, you're too evil to live in an evil world. But death came on him. Now, in that time, the laws, the customs, the traditions of the Hebrew people was that the deceased husband, his brother, was supposed to marry the widow, the wife. I know some of y'all don't like that idea. That's how they live. That was their culture. So now Onan marries Tamar. Now when Onan married Tamar, they were supposed to have children. The first son of that marriage would not be an heir of Onan. It would be an heir of his big brother, though his big brother had died. That's how it worked. So Onan said, listen, I don't want to have any children by Tamar because those, in essence, would be the heir of my, my big brother. The, so I don't want that. So every time he had sex with Tamar, he would withdraw right before he had an orgasm. He was using the withdrawal method for birth control because he didn't... Don't look at me all holy in St. Demonis. Y'all, this is all in the Bible. You ain't so holy that you can't read the Bible. So he would withdraw... Right when he got ready to come, he pulled out. And the Bible says that his semen uh, spilt on the ground, verse 9. And God didn't appreciate this because God wanted him to follow the plan that he had set up for the Hebrew people. So God killed Onan. Now, Onan is dead. That's her second husband. Er uh, is dead. That's her first husband. Now, Judah's got one more son. And so now, the youngest boy, Shelah, is supposed to marry Tamar. And so here's what Judah told her. Judah told her, Shayla's too young. Once he grows up, then I will arrange your marriage and everything will be fine. Now, Judah didn't want that. Judah's thinking in his mind, she's already killed two of my kids. I sure ain't ready to give her a third one. So he's really just putting her off and putting her off. Now, Shayla grows up. He's an adult. It's time for him to get married. They never call for Tamar. Now, Tamar 
has been hearing this empty promise by this man. Oh, by the way, sisters, if your husband's mean and evil and hard to get along with, you ain't got to do nothing. Just put him in the hands of God, all right? Some of y'all catch that on your way home. But God knows how to handle situations. So now Shayla's supposed to marry. Nobody calls Tamar to tell him. Tamar's upset. She's been hearing the empty promises from her father-in-law, Judah. So now sister girl's mad. And sister girl's trying to figure out how to get back at Judah. Come down to verse 14. Let me show you what she does. Tamar was aware that Shayla had grown up, but they had not called her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat by beside the road at the entrance of the village of Enam, which is on the way to Timon. Judah noticed her as he went by and thought she was a prostitute since her face was veiled. So he stopped and propositioned her to sleep with him, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay me, Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. What pledge will you give me so I can be sure you'll send it, she asked. Well, what do you want, he inquired. She replied, I want your identification seal, your cord, and your walking stick uh, that you're carrying. So Judah gave these items to her. She then let him sleep with her. She became pregnant. Afterwards, she went home, took off her veil, and put on her widow's clothing as usual. Now here's what's happening. Tamar's messed up. She's, she's upset. And she's going to get back at Judah. And what she does is her father-in-law. What she does, she knows Judah's going to go down to Tima. He's got some business in Tima. So she puts on a veil, takes off her widow clothes, puts on the clothes of a prostitute, and she positions herself in the, on the roadside between where Judah is and where Judah is going. And she already knows her father-in-law. He ain't passing by her without trying to do something. So he gets to her, thinks she's a prostitute, and says, how much? She said, what are you willing to pay? I'll give you a young goat. Now, that's big time back then, y'all, all right? <laughs> that's, their, that's their way of exchange. She said, you give me a young kid, I'll, I'll let you have some. And he said, okay, cool. And she said, well, where's the, where's the young goat? And he said, well, it's back home. She said, well, you, no, 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 it ain't happening to you. He said, well, let me give you something to hold until I go get Okay, that, she said, that's cool. Give me your ring, give me your bracelet, give me your walking stick. Give me some jewelry and your walking stick. When you bring the young goat, I'll get his stuff to you. Then they slept together. He's still thinking it's a prostitute. After they slept together, she was pregnant. Watch this. She takes off those prostitution clothes, those clothes of a prostitute, puts back on her widow clothes, and goes back home like ain't nothing happened. He now is chilling at the crib like he ain't did nothing wrong. Now, they, they both sin, but they're trying to act like everything is cool. Three months later, y'all ain't following me. She's showing now. That which is done in the dark will come to the light. Your sins will, look at somebody tell them, your sins will find you out. Now she's pregnant. Now everybody is dogging Tamar. How dare you get pregnant? You know how people in the community can talk. She had already killed two men. Now she's sleeping with a man that ain't even hers and she's pregnant. She's bringing shame to Judah. That's what it said. She's bringing shame to Judah and shame to Judah's family. They go and tell Judah, your daughter-in-law's pregnant. It's some man that's not her husband. And they go through all that. And Judah, who's the patriarch of the family, could have had mercy or judgment. He chooses judgment. Says, Tamar must die. They're going to kill Tamar. Now the date is set, the day she's going to die. She still hadn't said anything because he never did get that young goat to her. She still got the jury. The day Tamar's supposed to die, they're on the way to kill her. 
Tamar sends a bracelet and a ring to Judah and says to her father-in-law that the daddy of my baby is the owner of this ring and bracelet. If you find the owner of this ring and bracelet, you'll find the father of my baby. Judah knew he was busted. And now Judah, his whole demeanor changes now. And he starts trying to have mercy on Tamar. It's interesting how we want judgment on everybody else's sin, but we want mercy on our sin. He didn't care about Tamar. He cared about himself. And it was a double standard anyway. Here he's sleeping with prostitutes, and evidently it ain't the first one. She knew his behavior. And he running around like it's cool because he get to sleep with prostitutes. She slept with one man, got pregnant. They want to kill her. Oh, y'all don't know double standards? Well, there can be a brother in the community that can sleep with one woman after another. He's called a player. And then a sister can sleep with one somebody, get pregnant. She called a slut. Y'all know there's a double standard. Y'all, there ought to be one standard. That's God's standard. That the bed is undefiled in marriage. It's dirty and nasty outside of marriage. So now how are they going to clean all this stuff up? Y'all, we learned something from Tamar. One of the things we learned from Tamar is that, that if you're not a prostitute, don't act like one. Tamar was not a prostitute, but she started dressing like one. She was not a prostitute, but she went and hung out where prostitutes hang out. She was not a prostitute, but she was taking money for sex. She was not a prostitute, but she was sleeping with somebody that was not her husband. She had the behavior of a prostitute. So, so let me tell you something. If you're not a prostitute, and I know you're not, why do you dress like that? If you're not a prostitute, why do you hang out in those places? If you're not a prostitute, why are you taking money from a man to have sex with him? Pastor, I'm just trying to survive. That's prostitution, baby. You ain't no prostitute. Are y'all following me? If you're not a prostitute, why are you sleeping with somebody that ain't your husband? And if y'all don't say amen, y'all gonna make me think y'all got a problem. That stuff will catch up with you. And Tamar did not cover one mistake with another mistake. Because she could have married Judah. That would have been a mistake. Why do you marry somebody because you have a baby? First you marry somebody, then you had a baby. Y'all, you don't cover one mistake with another. You marry somebody because you love them, they love you. Y'all got the same God, same Jesus, same values, moving in the same direction, and you want to spend the rest of your life together. It ain't because you having their baby. Preach, pastor. I am preaching. You don't cover one mistake with another mistake. She could have committed suicide. I mean, look at all the problems she's having. She's lost two husbands, plus the mourning and the grief that goes all, with all of that. She's got an empty promise from a man that led her to a life of promiscuity. She was supposed to get married, and the marriage never went through. Look at all the issues she's going through. Now she's pregnant by her father-in-law. And y'all, she ain't just pregnant. She's pregnant with two babies. She having twins. The babies have no father. The father won't even claim them. He's walking around like he ain't done nothing. But sister girl did not jump off a bridge. She didn't put a bullet through her head. And she didn't slit her wrist. Because ain't nobody worth committing suicide over. Do I have a witness in here? Y'all, Tamar realizes that Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. 
No matter how bad your problem is, financial, family, whatever it is, your job, your, no matter how bad your problem is, it is temporary. Y'all, suicide is permanent. Do not take a permanent direction for a temporary problem. And I know it's temporary because it took a change to get you in your situation. It'll take a change to get you out of your situation. You got to learn to be like Job. All the days of my appointed time, I'm going to wait till my change comes. She didn't cover one mistake with another mistake because she could have had an abortion. She could have said, well, if this ain't going to work out and everybody know my situation, I'm going to terminate my pregnancy. She could have aborted the babies. She could have terminated the pregnancy, but she did not do that. And I'm glad she didn't. And let me preface this like this, because at this point, I'm not trying to make people who've already had an abortion feel bad. That is not my intent at this point. I'm not trying to make sisters who've already had an abortion, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about that past mistake and failure and all that. I want you to understand something. The moment you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, no matter what it is, he's already forgiven you. So if you had an abortion and you've asked God to forgive you, yo, God has already forgiven you. That's not my design. Y'all, when you are guilty of something, guilt is designed to bring you to repentance. After you repent, if you're still guilty, that is not from God. That's from the enemy trying to keep you from being what you ought to be. Now, this is just for saints, not sinners, because sinners, they can sin and don't feel bad. But when a saint sins, y'all help me through here. You ever felt so bad after you sinned? I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have acted like that. Y'all, that is the spirit in you that will not let you rest until you confess. But once you confess, y'all, everything's cool with you and God again. Am I making sense? This is for sisters who are thinking about an abortion. And with this many people in worship, there's somebody in here who's pregnant and, and, and we don't even know about it. But you know. You're thinking about terminating that pregnancy. You can't terminate that pregnancy because you never know what God's going to do with that baby. See, what God does, if we don't learn anything else today, God takes imperfect people and uses them in a perfect plan. That child may have come through some illicit sexual relationship, but it doesn't mean that God is not going to do something special with their life. Because even with Perez, even with Perez, that was the name of her first child in verse 29. And when she had Perez, Perez ends up in the family tree of Jesus. Y'all, if she had aborted that baby, Perez would not have been in God's plan. Perez's name ends up in scripture forever. Think if she had had an abortion. Think of what she would have missed out on and what he would. You never know what God, that's why you never give up on children, period. Never give up on your son. Never give up on your daughter. Never give up on your niece. Never give up on your nephew. Never give up on your student. Never give up on your little brother and little sister. Because God can take a bad situation and bring some good out of it. There used to be a time. It doesn't happen as much now, at least not publicly, where people used to get mad at me. Because we bless babies once, once a month. We have a service where we dedicate babies to the Lord, like Hannah did her son Samuel. And so whatever baby comes to the altar, I lay hands on them. And I pray for them. And I give them back. And I'm serious about that. And I dedicate them unto the Lord. Some people used to get mad at me because I was dedicating, and still do, dedicate babies whose parents are not married. They say, Pastor, how dare you bless that baby? And their parents are not married. 
And they'll call the baby illegitimate. Now, I got issues with that. Because here's what they would tell me. You are encouraging fornication and adultery. I'm not encouraging. It's already happened. It's, uh, that's already taking place. Y'all, I'm not encouraging. Y'all know I preach against adultery. I preach against fornication. I preach against everything that the Bible speaks against. So that ain't the issue. The thing for me is, how dare you call the baby illegitimate? I don't believe in illegitimate baby. What did the baby do? I mean, what did the baby do to make it illegitimate? In the mama's womb, what decision did he make? What choice did she make? The baby is not illegitimate. There are no illegitimate babies. There are illegitimate parents. They're the ones that had illegitimate sex. And I'm going to bless these babies. You know why? Because if anybody needs a blessing, those babies need one. Do I have a witness in here? So, so she says, I'm, I'm having my baby, and she goes on. There's, a, there's another woman in, in the family tree of Jesus, and that's Rahab. Go to Joshua with me. Joshua chapter 2. Now, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. I know you already know that, sixth book, right after Deuteronomy. And turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. In Joshua chapter 2, here's the second woman that is mentioned in the family tree of Jesus Christ. Her name is Rahab. Verse 1, Joshua 2. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia. He instructed them, spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now, she's in the family tree of Jesus. And you know what the Bible says about her? She's a prostitute. It tells us what she does before it even tells us who she is. She's a prostitute named Rahab. Now, how can I put this? When most of us talk about our roots, our ancestry, our family tree, y'all, we always mention the positive people. Granddaddy was a bishop and uh, great-grandmama was an engineer early on, and, and my uncle was a doctor and all that. Ain't nobody running around saying, my uncle was an alcoholic. My great-grandmama was a drug addict. My great-aunt was a prostitute. Come on, somebody. But in the family tree of Jesus, we see even the negative aspects, of, and that really proves the truth of the Word of God. It, it's not some fairy tale, y'all. These are real people who had real issues. And some of them were imperfect, but God used them in his perfect plan. Moses is dead now in Joshua 2. Moses is dead. Joshua is in charge. He sends two spies over into Canaan. Rahab is a Canaanite. She's a black sister, descendant of Ham. And, and he sends two spies over there to spout the land because the children of Israel are going in to, to fight for the Canaan land. When the two spies get there, notice the first house they go to. Really the only house they went to was Rahab's. Now, I don't know why they ended up there, but this is even before they did any spying. They hadn't even spied anything out. Here they are at the prostitute's house. I don't know why they went there. They may have gone there for the same reason every other man went there, or they may have gone there because they know men are accepted here. Now the Canaanites' authorities discover that the spies are at Rahab's house. So they show up at the house because some espionage is taking place and they're looking for the spies and they say, Rahab, we know that these spies, they told us that they've come here. Rahab now is hiding the spies up on her rooftop. And then Rahab begins to lie to the Canaanite authorities. She said, listen, I didn't know they were spies. 
They were just men coming to my business. I, I didn't know. And he, they asked, are they still here? She said, no, they were here, but they just left. If you hurry, you can catch them. Now, sister girl lying. Now, you can argue about if that's what she was supposed to do. She was lying for God. I got a friend. Well, I don't know if he's a friend. He lies so much, I can't. It's, I have uh, somebody I know. They lie all the time to no advantage. They get nothing out of the line. I said, man, if you're going to lie, at least get something out of it. Lie advantageous. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm not saying lie, but if you're going to lie, here she is lying, and she's lying on behalf of God to save the spies of God. And she tells those spies that the reason why I've been protecting you, verse 11, is because I know that your God is the supreme God. He's the God of every God. He's the God of the heavens. He's the God of the earth. I know that your God is King of kings and Lord of lords. Everything she did was motivated by faith. Now remember that. Everything, even when she lied, it was wrong. But her mindset was, I'm doing this because of God. I know, she, I know it ain't right, but her motivation was faith. In verse 12, she tells them, she says, listen, now I saved you. I know y'all going to win the battle because God is the God of all gods. Now, when y'all come over and start killing all these Canaanites, I want you to guarantee me I'm going to be saved and my family's going to be saved. Because if I hadn't saved y'all, y'all wouldn't be in a position to save other people. And they said, all right, I want you to know that God is going to save you. But here's what, here's what uh, the spies told them. The spies said, if you're going to be saved, here is how it's going to happen. You better make sure your mama, your, fa your, your mother, your daddy, your brother, your sister, Sons, daughters, cut everybody you won't save better be in your house. Then I want you to take a red thread, a scarlet thread. Take a red rope and hang it outside the window of your house so that when the soldiers come in, they're going to see that your house has this red on it. And when they see the red on the house, not only will you be saved, but everybody that's in your house is going to be saved. Y'all, I'm trying to rush this sermon today, but I got to pause right here because that is the good news of the gospel, that when you put your faith in the plan of God and your home is covered by the red blood of Jesus Christ, that not only does he save you, but everybody in your family, how many of you know God won't just save you, but he saved your peeps too? I ain't just believing God for my salvation. I'm believing for salvation for my wife and for my children. And if you move in my house, you're going to get saved. Do I have a witness in this place? And they guarantee that. She has enough faith to trust God. They didn't have to sign any papers. She said, I believe what God says. Now, how did all that turn out? Because we never hear from Rahab. We never meant, it is never another mention of Rahab's name outside the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. How did she come out? We know the children of Israel went in, conquered the Canaanites. But what went down with Rahab? We never hear her name mentioned in the Old Testament again. Yeah, but her name shows up in the New Testament, y'all. In James chapter 2, verse 22, it talks about Abraham. Then in verse 25 of James 2, it talks about Rahab. And it throws her in as a woman of faith. We know Abraham is the father of the faithful. She's a woman of faith. She's numbered among the faithful. Because when you do for God, God never forgets about you. In Hebrews chapter 11 is what some call the Hall of Faith. We've heard of the Hall of Fame where people get highlighted and their names get highlighted because of certain accomplishments in their life. And so we talk about the Hall of Fame. Rahab ain't in the Hall of Fame, but she is in the Hall of Faith. 
in Hebrews 11, it talks about the heroes of the faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith. And it goes through that. If you keep on reading, you're going to get down to chapter 11, verse 31. And it says, by faith, Rahab. Here's all I'm trying to tell you. No matter what your past has been, when you put your faith in God, God wipes that sin away and moves you in a new direction. You could have been a prostitute in the past, but it doesn't mean you can't be a missionary in the present. Do I have a witness in here? How many of you know when you give God your faith, he can make significant changes in your life? Let me give you another sister in the family tree of Jesus. This is the last one we're going to have time for. But this one is found in, in the book of Ruth. You're in, Ju in Joshua. Next book is Judges. Next book is Ruth. I know y'all know how to handle the word. I already know that. Ruth chapter 1. Now let me give you the setting, the background, and the context for Ruth chapter 1. There's a man by the name of Elamelech. Elamelech has a wife by the name of Naomi. They live in Bethlehem, Judah. A famine comes in Bethlehem, Judah. So now Elamelech and Naomi move to the, the, the land of the Moabites. They moved to a black neighborhood, y'all, right? These are descendants of Ham. And so here they are, Elamelech and Naomi, living in a black hood. And now they have two sons, uh, Malon and Kilion. After they had those two sons, that's when Elamelech died. But Naomi's still cool because her sons are going to provide for her. They're going to protect her and take care of her. Then her two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. They marry two sisters, all right? And when they marry these black sisters, everything seems to be going fine. But after 10 years, Malon and Kilion die. Now you have three widows trying to make it without the protection and the provision of their husbands. Now that's a male-dominated society. It's very important in terms of their relationship with men at that time. So what Naomi says, she says, listen, I can't live among these Moabite people. I got to go back to Bethlehem, Judah so I can have a support system with my family. And now Orpah and Ruth, Naomi, all of them are making their way back to Bethlehem. On the way, Naomi says, I'm, I'm too selfish. Y'all should be staying with, with y'all peeps, the, the Moabites. Y'all got a support system there. Y'all don't have to come with me. Y'all can make it. Y'all still young. You're still pretty. You can get married again, have kids. I'm too old. I ain't having no more kids. I ain't getting married no more. I'm going on back to Bethlehem in Judah where they will take care of me as a part of that culture. Orpah says, okay, they all cry, hug, and, and Orpah goes on back to the Moabite people. Ruth says, Naomi, I don't care what happens. I ain't never leaving you. Naomi said, girl, you still pretty. You still young. You still got a chance. Go on back. She said, I don't care about none of that. I'm going to stick with my family. I'm staying with you. I ain't leaving you. Now look in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. In, in Ruth 1 and 16, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. I will go wherever you go and live wherever you live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now that's a wonderful verse. Oftentimes as, as men of God and women of God, when we do weddings, we'll throw that verse in. And uh, when we do premarital counseling before somebody gets married, we'll use those principles out of Ruth 1 and 16. So that I, I'll even tell people, listen, if you cannot say 
to the person you're thinking about marrying, uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, then you're not ready to get married. That ain't the person for you. That you ought to be able to say, wherever you go, I'll go. And understand, wherever they're going before they get married, those same places they go after they get married. If you can't handle it before you get married, then that ain't the person to marry because that's where they still going to go. You ought to be able to say, wherever you live, that's where I'm going to live. If their living arrangement is crazy now, it ain't going to be no saner because you marry them. If you can't handle it before you get married, then that ain't the person to marry. And then you got to be able to say that your people will be my people. Well, Pastor, I ain't marrying her mom and daddy and brothers and sisters. I ain't marrying his family. I'm marrying, you are marrying the family. Preach, Pastor Johnson. Their people are going to be your people. If you can't handle that, and you better know their people before you say that. Do I have a witness in here? And if their God is not your God, if their Savior is not Jesus, and if their power is not the Holy Spirit, then that is not the person for you. So that's a wonderful principle in terms of husband and wife. But y'all, here is about friendships. Here it is not just, it's not about outlaws, but in-laws. This is Ruth and Naomi. Saying no matter what goes down, we're going to stick together and stay together. Look at somebody and tell them, stick with your family. Y'all, when you stick with your family, God has a way of honoring your endurance and your faithfulness. Not only did she stick with her family, but she had faith in God. Watch how it paid off for her. They're living now in, in Bethlehem, Judah. So Naomi is saying, we're not in Moab anymore. Let me tell you how we operate in Judah. She said, we are widows. We have no men, so we have no provision and no protection. But we have a system set up that blesses poor people. She said, here is the welfare system during the time that Naomi lived. That, that the Hebrew people were agricultural people. And when they plowed and planted, when it was time for harvest, they would go out and reap their corn and reap their wheat and all that kind of stuff. Y'all, as they reap these things, they would leave extra corn and extra wheat in the field on purpose so that poor people could come along behind them and then get the corn and the wheat to take to their families. So Naomi was explaining that to Ruth. Then she said to Ruth, but I don't want you to just go to anybody's field. She said, I got a distant cousin named Boaz. He is a godly man. He's a rich man. He's an entrepreneur. He's got employees. He owns fields. Brother man got it together. That's the field I want you to glean in. Don't you go to all these other people's fields because I know Boaz is looking for a wife. And I want you to just glean in his field. Don't worry. Just keep working. Boaz is going to check you out. Now they scheming on Boaz, right? He don't know nothing about it. He just got his job, his employees. He's rich, godly man. He's out working. And his workers are along in one area of the field, and they're leaving all these leftovers. He looks back and sees Ruth and asks his employees, who's that fine sister working back there? They say, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. Her husband is dead. Wait, wait, wait. Her husband is dead? And they say, yeah, her husband's dead. She's living with her mom. She's from Moab and all that. He said, okay, cool, cool, cool. Now he starts planning. <laughs> he starts letting her not glean back there with the leftovers. He told Ruth, you hang out up here with my employees so you get first fruits and the first choices and you can get all this stuff. And she's just all happy and all smiling and, try, you know, trying to act like she don't know what's happening. And um, then he told her, now when you eat lunch, all this is in the Bible, y'all, in chapter 2. He said, when you eat lunch, don't eat lunch with the cleaners. Come on, eat lunch with me. 
eat with me and my employees. You can dip your bread in my wine. That's what he told her. You can dip your bread in my wine. In chapter 2, verse 10, she says to him, why are, you, why are you helping me so much? Why are you treating me like this and ain't treating everybody else like this? Now Boaz is making his move. He don't know sister girl that made her move before you even... Brothers, wake up. Look at the brother and say, wake up. She been done made her move. She got you right where she wants you, which is cool. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But he tells her, he says, the reason why I chose you, and here's the thing, sisters, because I know you, try, you want a certain kind of brother. You want a godly man and a man with some means and all of that. But notice in this text with, with, with Ruth and Boaz, Boaz always, who is that cleaning? Who is that working? He didn't just say, who is that fine sister? Who is that fine sister working? Y'all, there were a lot of fine sisters in Judah. This was the one that was... I ain't got time to work it. He says, the reason I chose you and do these things for you is because you stuck with your family. Look at somebody tell them, stick with your family. And you stayed faithful to God. Y'all, when you stick with your family and stay faithful to God, God will secure your future. When you do right by your family and right by your faith, you don't have to ask, how am I going to make it? Just know you're going to make it because God ain't going to let you down. I do not know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. If I can stay faithful to him, my future is secure. Let me prove it to you. Ruth chapter 4 verse 13, Boaz marries Ruth. They get married. He's godly, he's rich, he's wealthy, he's an entrepreneur, he owns all that. So she goes from rags to riches because she stuck with her family, stayed with her faith. God secured her future. Not only did she get married in chapter 4, verse 13, but she had a baby in chapter 4, verse 16. Y'all, I'm trying to tell you how God worked her future for her. When she got married... Then they had the baby, which is the order it's supposed to be. They got married. Then they had the baby. The baby's name was Boaz, was Obed. Boaz and Ruth had a baby named Obed. Obed, okay, all right. Y'all ain't shouting because you don't know Obed is Jesse's father. Okay, you, you don't know that Jesse is King David's father. Okay, you don't know. You don't know that Jesus it's called the son of David. Y'all, when sister girl did right by God and her family, God hooked her up in such a way that her son Obed got grown, had a son named Jesse. He got grown, had a son named King David. He got grown, became a dynasty in the kingdom, and he became the ancestor of Jesus. Y'all ain't getting this thing. If Ruth had been selfish, and stayed in Moab and forgot about her mama-in-law. She never would have moved to Bethlehem. But because she moved to Bethlehem, Obed was born in Bethlehem. Jesse was born in Bethlehem. David was born in Bethlehem. And everybody knows Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God's got your future taken care of, y'all. That's all I'm trying to tell you is God will take care of you. And sister, you ain't got to try to act like nobody else, be like nobody else, be the black sister God made you. I don't have time 
I don't have time to tell y'all about Bathsheba. We already talked about Bathsheba anyway. Sheba, son of Ethiopia, she's black. Bathsheba is a sister. Bathsheba marries King David. They have Solomon. The Bible says Solomon is the wisest man living, dead, or unborn. And don't think he got that kind of wisdom without dealing with his mama. God used Bathsheba. I noticed something about all of these sisters in the family tree of Jesus. Something was wrong with them. Tamar act like a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a schemer. Come on. Bathsheba was an adulterer. Something was wrong with all of them. But here's the good news. God takes imperfect people and uses them in his perfect plan. Just because something is wrong with you doesn't mean God cannot use you. Do I have a witness in here? I noticed something else about these sisters of the Spirit. Once they got it right with God, they never went back to the mess they came out of. It ain't about your mistakes of the past. It's about what you're going to do right now. The Bible says Tamar never had sex with Judah ever again. Rahab is not remembered as a prostitute. In the New Testament, she's remembered as a woman of faith. Because once she got it right with God, she never went back. Ruth married Boaz, and we see her in the family tree of Jesus. Bathsheba, yes, she committed adultery, but got a life together and married David. Their first child died, but her second son, Solomon, was the wisest man living dead or unborn. I'm just trying to tell you, y'all, when you mess up in the past, don't stay in the past. Sister girl, go on and get what God's got for you in the future. And you ain't got to try to be like nobody else. Every sister I named today had some uniqueness about her, some originality about her. I, I, I love that one song by India Ari. I know y'all ain't heard it because y'all don't listen to that kind of music. But I know you heard India Ari's song. And India Ari has a song called Video. In the video, she does that song in, in first person singular. Let me give you the words in third person plural. She says something to the effect in the song video. Sometimes you shave your legs and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you comb your hair. Sometimes you won't. Depending upon how the wind blows, you might even paint your toes. It really just depends on whatever feels good in your soul. You're not the average girl from the video. And you're not built like a supermodel, but you learn to love yourself un unconditionally because you are a queen. You're not the average girl from a video. Your worth is not determined by the price of your clothes. No matter what you're wearing, you will always be a queen. When you look in the mirror, you're the only one you see. Every freckle on your face is where it's supposed to be. You know the creator did not make mistakes when he made you. Your feet, your thighs, your lips, your eyes, you got to love everything you see. Are you less than a lady because you don't wear pantyhose? Your mama already told you the worth of a woman ain't what she wears, but it's what she knows. I've drawn a conclusion. It's all an illusion. Confusion is the name of the game. Misconception, mass deception, Something has got to change. Get in where you fit in. Go on and shine. Clear your mind. Now's the time. Go on and love yourself because everything is going to be all right. Go on and love yourself because everything is going to be all right.
Y'all, I'm trying to quit, but I'm going to preach this whole sermon today. Go on and love yourself. You ain't got to be like nobody else. Love you the way God made you. You ain't got to try to act like the other culture. You ain't got to try to act like anybody in your culture. Be who and what God made you. Somebody said, Pastor, I can't do that because, you know, I'm trying to be like her because she's sweet as a peach. And I'm just trying to be sweet as a peach. Baby, if you sour as a lemon, just be the lemon God made you. Just bloom where you planted. If you can't be sweet as a peach, just bloom where you planted. Because everybody don't like peaches anyway. And if God made you sour as a lemon, he gave some man the taste for lemonade. Somebody say yes. You got to be who and what God made you. Be who and what. You are an original. You cannot try to act like somebody else. And I love these sisters. Let me close like this. I love these sisters because they never went back. Once they got it right with God. See, that's, wrong with, that's what's wrong with some of us. We got it right with God. Join the church and keep trying to slip back. Baby, don't slip back. He that puts his hand to the gospel plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The Bible says you got to press towards the mark of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Look at somebody and tell them, don't go back. Now, now I don't know. I don't know if, if any of you drive the, the Jeep Cherokee, the Cherokee Jeep, which is the Jer- Jeep Cherokee? The Jeep Cherokee has had a recall on it. The reason why there's been a recall is because something's wrong with it. I don't know what year, but you better check it out. Because the makers of Jeep Cherokee say that the problem is that the Jeep Cherokee automatically throws itself in reverse. That's why they're having a recall. Because you can sit at a stoplight. It'll automatically throw itself in reverse. You think you're getting ready to go forward, and then you're going backwards. You can drive down the street in your Jeep Cherokee, going in the direction that you think you ought to be. Then your thing just automatically goes in reverse, and now it's going backwards. Five people have already died. 130 people have already been injured. Because it automatically throws itself in reverse, and goes back, and covers ground it just left. Y'all going to catch this in a minute. So what they have is a recall on the Jeep Cherokee because something is wrong with it. And they don't want you to try to fix it yourself. And they don't want you to try to take it to some jack leg to fix it. So what they tell you is take it back to the one that made it. And when you take it back to the one that made it, they can get inside and fix it so you're moving in the direction you ought to go. I'm through, y'all. I got to go on and get out of here. But I want y'all to understand that's what's wrong with some of us. We got saved. We became Christians. We joined church. But our stuff keeps going in reverse. Going back to stuff God delivered you from. Going back in the reverse. Cussing the people out the way you used to cuss them out. Going back in reverse. Snorting stuff and drinking stuff. You know you Baby, I'm just trying to tell you. There's a recall on the church. There's a recall on Christians. You cannot fix it yourself. But I dare you to come to the house of God and turn it over to Jesus. How many of you know Jesus can work it out if you let him? That problem that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I prayed and I prayed, but I kept getting deeper involved. But I turned it over to Jesus and I stopped worrying about it. 
I turned it over to the Lord. Won't he work it out? Won't he work it out? Won't he work it out? Somebody shout yes. Y'all, listen, I don't want anybody to move unless they're coming to the front to get your life right. There's a recall on Christians. There's a recall on, on humanity.